When Adulthood came out, my first son was two weeks old as the film was coming out. And eight years later, I have three sons, the youngest of which is 10 months. Yeah. Um, my oldest is eight, obviously. And in the eight years growing up myself, growing up within the business, having you know, made all my mistakes publicly. I didn't go to film school or, or anything like that. So everything, every film I've done has been like my, my entry film, my, my freshman film, my sophomore film. And I, I've, I've made everything, everything's been public. Because yeah, yeah. I've, I've been on screen in this country since, since 1999. So, you know, there's no acting school to make your mistakes and they go, oh, well, try this, try I've, everything I've done. Right. <laughs> and so essentially, I just got to a place in my life where I was starting to actually feel comfortable with what I was doing. Yeah. You know, not having that film school experience, not having that uh, drama school experience, it's like it takes you a while to really get into your groove. Mm. And I feel like in that eight years, especially with the children, um, that kind of helped me center myself to say, I can make a film now. I'm not just the guy that was given the camera years ago. Hey, you're your council estate boy. Yes, have a camera, film a movie. Yes, wonderful. <laughs> Great, oh, kid Alton, tremendous. Adulton, wonderful. Like, that, that's, that's no longer the guy giving the camera. I'm now, I'm now a filmmaker. Yeah. And my life experiences and the emotional intelligence that the children give me and have given me over those years enabled me to go, what happens if I take that character who has committed a crime years ago and has tried to come out and had another very bad day? If you take him and give him children, you put him going through what I'm going. So all the films come from a place of truth. And I had to live the truth. I had to have those boys and live that truth for me to start thinking about where that character would be mm. and give him that situation. And that's kind of where the film came from, which is a very long-winded explanation. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe a couple of years ago, it was kind of, it just it Yeah, about, into about view, two really. years ago, yeah. I started thinking, hmm, what would, he, what would Sam be doing if he had kids and how would he deal with it? And, mm. and that, so about a couple of years ago, I started thinking about it and that's kind of where it came from. What's interesting is, as well is how much of a trilogy this truly is. I mean, you have characters and you have incidents that happened in the first movie, Kittlehood, and, and really echo through this one yeah. as well. I mean, um, how, how much planning do you put into that? Or was that a purely organic thing, bringing characters back and having those incidents? No, in, in this film, obviously, it, it's, it's planning and you have the two previous films to, to rely upon. Um, uh, so that was quite intentional. Mm. Um, but I also wanted to talk, you know, wanted to bring through things, not just, you know, because the, the there's the movie part of it where you're like bringing the gangsters and all that kind of stuff. That's the movie part of it that, you know, is reality for some people somewhere, but is, that's the movie part of it. But the stuff like Henry, Henry, yeah. Henry Arnold Ocheng, who's very funny, plays Henry. In the last film, he was the boy that didn't want to misbehave and the other boys bricked him in the head. Yeah. Ten years later, he's still suffering. Yeah. And it's like young people need to know that when they do things now, it's going to affect them in later life. And that's kind of a way to, you know, and they'll listen to him because he's funny. They're yeah. like, oh, he's so funny. And then suddenly he hits them with something and they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, and, and it's important that they could see that you can't just behave. I mean, and, and Henry's character was the good one, but you can't, things that you do at this age can potentially affect your later life. And I, you know, I had to kind of show that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it, it goes back to the first movie as well, because I, I believe, uh, you know, the movie ends with the death of, of, of Trevor, of Trife. But yeah. That was something that you added quite late in the day, wasn't it? And it's just yes. interesting how it impacts this movie and impacts the course of the characters. Yeah, well, of course, if, if Kiddo had had the original ending that I planned, there would be no other movies because in the original ending, 
that I'd written, Trife survived. Mm. Trife survived the baseball bat hit. Um, and he kind of had the fight, walked off into the, the, the night with Alyssa and it was all good. Because I am quite a sucker for happy endings, although you wouldn't know it with these films. It's <laughs> um, a fairly happy ending here. This one, yeah. yeah. Maybe this is the ending I've always wanted, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's just a different character. But I realised as we were developing the project with Kid Hood that he couldn't survive. He couldn't survive. Because if you tell young people that they behave like this and at the end they can go off into the sunset and everything's going to be fine, mm. then you're sending the wrong message. Yeah, yeah. And when I first wrote it, there wasn't a plan for a message. There wasn't anything. And, but you had to take a responsibility. You, I had to learn to take a responsibility that... You cannot let this guy be involved in this kind of life or skirting around it, because he wasn't a bad kid, Trevor, mm. but skirting around it and behaving that way and survive at the end. Yeah. And a lot of media twisted it. Negative film, another black man dies at the end. It's like you're missing the point. The point is him dying is showing young people that they can't behave like this and just get away with it because there are consequences for those actions. Mm. And that's why the ending got changed very late on mm-hmm. and it ended up being the way it was, which has obviously clearly spawned the other films. But it's interesting as well because it, uh, it impacted directly, of course, your character, Sam. Yes. Who became a murderer at the end of, the, of that movie. Manslaughter. Yeah, manslaughter, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the last two movies have been really about his redemption, wouldn't you say? Yeah. I mean, the second one definitely was... Which the second one really was about his redemption and, you know, his... I know people, I grew up in these areas. Mm. You know, we were at the uh, after party the other day and I was with the head of the studio, the head of Lionsgate, and he came to the dinner that we had afterwards and he sat there next to me and he was talking. He said, well, it was a very good night, wasn't it? I said, yeah. (laughs) And next to him was my friend Steve. Yeah. My friend Steve is a banker, works for one of the top banks in the country. And this is sort of a testament to where my life has gone. I have loads of friends from, you know, that sort of sector. I introduced him to my friend here. And I won't say his name, but my friend here grew up with me, mm-hmm. got sentenced to 25 years for something, served 12. Mm-hmm. The friend next to him was sentenced for seven years for armed robbery. Mm-hmm. Wow. Right? Yeah. These, this is the area I grew up in. Like, I don't make this, this stuff doesn't just come from me going, wow, how can I exploit the world today? Like, it's not yeah. about that. This is where I grew up in. These people are my friends. These guys now have very good jobs. One's a school counselor, one works at a, a children's charity because they're trying to atone for the mistakes. So the second film, was about Sam coming out and me showing that, knowing these people, and one of them's in the second film as an extra, and the other, and the other one's in this film as an extra, you can do bad things. It doesn't always mean you are a bad person. And mistakes can be made. And when you serve your time, that doesn't mean the families or anyone have to forgive you if you've committed a crime. But if you are truly sorry and you try to be a better person, then you should be allowed to be that better person. Yeah. And that's kind of what adulthood was about. Yeah. This one, of course, is then if you give that person who's tried his hardest a family and he's tried everything to stay away from that, will he go back there to protect his family? Mm. And I think anyone who's got children here knows that you do anything for your children. Mm. I mean, you've seen the film, he resists, he resists, he resists, he resists, he resists, and then the mum goes over the balcony and like, you can't resist that mm. anymore. So that's kind of where, where these things come from. And obviously, my mum hopefully hasn't fallen over her balcony, but... You know, I saw her yesterday, she was fine. So <laughs> I'm, assume, I'm assuming she's fine today, but... She's all good. But, you know, that's kind of where this stuff comes from. Absolutely. So you, you've long been um, basically a one-man film industry uh, in this country. I mean, how, how difficult is it to get films made now? Uh, um, 
in Britain? Very. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you know, like you said, I'm a one-man film ministry. I do it because people don't, people don't, people don't help me. Mm. I'm not a one-man industry because I want to be. Yeah. It's because, like, I try to get films made and people go, mm, nah. So I'm like, well, fine, I'll do it myself. It's, it's more come from necessity and rejection and a lot of non-inclusion than actually being like the golden boy of British cinema. I'm yeah, like yeah. the black sheep of British cinema. Uh, you still feel that way? You know? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Was it easy to get Brotherhood made? No. no. No, it wasn't easy to get Brotherhood made, despite that. I mean, they're laughing now because you should see the numbers coming in. Yeah. But it wasn't easy to get Brotherhood made. And it literally, um, I would think, I would probably say that's just slightly lower than adulthood budget. Oh, really? Yeah. The right. reason it looks the way it looks is because going back to the first question is I've grown up and now yeah. as opposed to a guy with a camera that makes films I'm a filmmaker so yeah. I know how to make a film yeah um, but uh, it, it wasn't easy that's interesting because especially adulthood did really really well massively but yeah. I left it I left it quite a while I think uh -huh. because I left it quite a while because as I said earlier I didn't have anything to say uh -huh. so there was no point in me again you know there's a, a misconception of like well you know he likes to kind of like I didn't have anything to say I could have made Excuse me, after adulthood, I was offered, like, hey, that was number one in the box office, 1.2 million opening weekend, 3.6. Like, you need to make another one now. Yeah. We can make another one now. We can capitalise on it. It'll be great. We can pay you this. It'll be awesome. I didn't do it because I didn't have anything to say. Yeah, yeah. I would have loved to take that money. Yeah. But had I had done that, it wouldn't have been beneficial for me, wouldn't have been beneficial for the films, and it wouldn't have been beneficial for anyone that the films represented. Mm. So I said, I'm not doing it. So, so eight years pass, and you, you do, yeah. you, you find something to say with the, with the movie, but suddenly it's difficult to get it made. People yeah. have maybe forgotten how successful adulthood was, or they haven't forgotten. They just believe that the public's forgotten. Yeah, that the moves on. Yeah, and that you know, um, like a lot of people wanted to do it, but they wanted to do it at like five hundred thousand or, or something ridiculous like that. Mm. And I'm like, I'm not making. I'm not in the business of making those straight to DVD movies just to, to capitalise me on the cover with a bat and like that's not happening. Yeah. It's not happening. Like if I'm making a film, we're making something that will speak to people, that will have elements of entertainment and cater to the audience, but when the audience are in there, they bang, they get a message that they either were expecting or weren't expecting, but they go home thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. You talked about growth as a filmmaker as well. And yeah. one of the in interesting things about Brotherhood is how Tense it is, but also how funny it is within that tension. Yeah. I mean, Arnold's a big part of that. Obviously, yeah. it's very, very funny. But there's that scene in the kebab shop where there's a conversation about Transformers and yeah, yeah, yeah. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yeah. which I imagine is you that's speaking. Me. Yeah. Is, that, is that you speaking? That that's Hollywood's just, yeah. ruined Transformers. Yeah, that's just me. That's just, <laughs> that's just me talking, you know, and putting that into the characters as, as a lot of filmmakers do. You yeah. know, it's just kind of, it's just a moment that I find quite funny. And again, it's something that cuts the tension. Cuts the tension down, you know, and sort of just informs how these guys know each other from way back when. But yeah. So where does that come from for you? That sort of growth, that development. Has that been trial and error, or do you look at other filmmakers? Yeah, you for guys have seen my. You guys have seen my errors. It's always been trial and error. Yeah. You know, I've been on screen since '99 with metrosexuality, um, and consistently working. Um, started making like you know adulthood. I was never supposed to direct adulthood. Mm. I wrote kidhood, by hook or by crook. You know, long story. I've said it a million times. That luckily got made. No studio wanted to make it. No, no film companies made it at all. They all said no. It was made privately, independently. Once we made it, nobody wanted to put it out. Sat on the shelf for two years. It was made in 2004, didn't come out till 2006. Um, 
Then adulthood, so filmmaking, adulthood was supposed to be the same director. Hood's a good friend of mine who was supposed to direct it. He said, I don't want to direct it, we've done that. Nothing can top the last film, it was such a cult movie. There's no point in doing another one. And I'd written it and Pathé, Cameron McCracken at Pathé, who I love to this day, said to me, well, why don't you direct it? It's your voice. And you were on, you were on set every day, weren't I? I said, I was on set every day and I sat next to Hoods and I helped Hoods because I know the, 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 I know the area. He said, well, you direct it. I said, man. <laughs> he said, I'm not a director, I'm an actor. Well, you, I, you know, I just started writing. This yeah. is only my second film, I'm not a director. Um, I went home, I told my missus, look, you know, they want me this stupid camera and he wants me to direct this, <laughs> this thing, man, like, you know, ridiculous. And she said, I said, you know, maybe in 10 years, 20 years, I'll direct, you know, because then I'll be, I think I'll be ready. Mm. And she said, well, it was only five years ago I was lending you money to go to auditions. How do you know in 10 years you'll be in a position to direct anything? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, hey, you know. <laughs> I knew there was another reason you were about, girl. <laughs> you know? And so I said, I've called Cameron up. I said, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And he was like, great. And they made me do a test shoot. So the film, it was film council at the time. And Pathé, they funded a test shoot where I shot like a short film. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, and they do these for they do these for a lot of directors. I remember another quite well known director now was doing his test shoot at the same time. And if you don't pass this test shoot, you get no movie. Wow. But if you do pass it, you get to direct the movie. So you're going against him for the same film. No, no, no. Oh, okay. They they give, in a different film. Yeah, okay. they're doing a different film. So I did the test shoot. Cast some of the actors. Did the test shoot, and I passed. And then that was it. It was like go. It was go, and then. You know, but you, you watch adulthood now. I mean, the story's great, but you watch it now. It's like, it's, I look at it now, I'm like, man, what the f... <laughs> what? Like, the, 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 like, at the time, it was great, you know? And I was, like, trying to do all these things. Like, oh, I've got this idea, let's do this, and let's do that. And, like, if I pull it back and just look at the story, I'm like, okay, it's still good. Like, yeah, the yeah. story's good, but, like, I look at the film. Like, there's a thing here and squares there and split screen there. I'm like, what the f... What is that? <laughs> But that's the point. I was these, these are my mistakes. This is my film school that yeah, is, yeah. was public. You know what I mean? And like it, it, it's, you know, I had to, I had to make them. I don't look at that film as a mistake. It's awesome. But I mean, I look I look I watch it now. I'm like, I would change all of that. I could cut <laughs> that. I could lose that. You were George Lucas's, in other yeah, words. Yeah, yeah. If you could remaster it, <laughs> Jabba would be go from being a man to a big slug. <laughs> like Sam would suddenly be a big. Yeah, you know what I mean. But those th that's the point. Is like. But since that time to now, in eight years, I've worked yeah. consistently as an actor still. I've written loads of things that some people, people know about, some don't. I produce. I'm on set all the time. I shepherd other directors. We've got a film called Scottish Muscle, Scottish Muscle which Tallulah Riley mm -hmm. wrote and directed. Mm -hmm. like, we produced that. Yeah. I shep who shepherds her through that? That's me. Like, I've done all these things. So now, the experience I have, you know, I worked on Star Trek with J.J. Abrams. Yep sat down for like four months and watched him. I'm only in the film eight minutes. <laughs> but like, it wasn't about that. The experience of watching that guy, yeah. you know? And I sat down and learned and like this, a lot of those mistakes and things that you correct and go into here. Mm. Now we shot this in four weeks. Wow. Shot this in wow. 24 days. Hold on, is that four weeks? Yeah, it was four, it was, well, right? Yeah, yeah. Not quite five, but six, and we did six day weeks as well. Yeah. And we had, a, like I said, the budget was slightly low, and there's still mistakes in here that, that are in there because of budgetary constraints and things that, you know, they might slip past you. Some of you might have noticed them, but I know they're there, and I'm like, well, that's not going to happen again. And it's all location work? All, lo all location work. I mean, it was a grueling, grueling shoot. Testament to the, you know, 
the cinematographer and the, all the crew involved, because you know you can't do this without your crew. But like, I don't want people to think we had six weeks when we were chilling. That's that is four. That is twenty-four days, six-day weeks, twelve-hour working. Um, t yeah, twelve-hour working days plus travel, obviously. Turn around, you know, like it was hard work. I'm always interested as well by uh, first days on set. What was, can you remember the first day on, on Brotherhood? Mm. Can you remember the first day on Adulthood as well and what your feelings were then? I can't remember the first day on Brotherhood. I don't know what we shot. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember what we shot. So that's how much it's become routine already. You know, yeah. You're just, you know, the, the fearlessness. Because imagine Adulthood, that was slightly different, was it? Your first day must have been Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a different type of fearless, fearlessness. The Adulthood fearlessness was like, I was young, like, I don't give a fuck, man. Like, <laughs> that was the fearlessness with adulthood, I, like, I don't care. Yeah. What, what do I have to lose? What do I have to lose? <clears throat> I'm this actor that's did, done this film that was received all right, wrote this film that was received all right. I'm gonna direct the second one. Everyone's expecting it to not work. Everyone's expecting it to not work. I don't have anything to lose. So the fearlessness was more bullshit, like, I'm doing it. Mm. The fearlessness here comes from experience and knowing what I'm doing. Mm. I wasn't scared about it because I knew what I was doing. When I had my first son, terrified. <laughs> in the hospital, midwife, what's that noise? Why is that beeping? Is the heart rate <laughs> dropping? She's like, cool. I'm like, listen, you've done this before. You need to tell me. Had my third son, I'm texting. <laughs> <laughs> you all right, babe? Yeah. Oh, head, head, head. All right, I'll call you back, bro. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's experience. Yeah. It's experience of knowing what, what you're doing and what to expect, and so, you bring all those experiences to, to your project, and that's what makes it, that's a, so it's a different type of fearlessness. So as far as distribution goes, um, Noel, do they just come to you straight away, or do you choose someone and they're like, yeah, let's go with it? Because I know at the moment, a lot of distribution companies do not pick up this sort of film. Uh, this film's a brand. The, the, it was still difficult, like I said, but we did have choices because the film is a brand, so like I said, a lot of people did it in the end want to do it, but wanted to do it at a certain budget. Right. But w I knew that we needed a, a certain budget, and there was only like three doors you could knock on at that budget, you know. And then it was a case of trying to get them to where we needed them because we had private investment. Um, my company has an investor now that, you know, can can fund 50, 60 percent projects. So when you go to a distributor with that sort of 60 percent. Half plus tax credit, 65%. They're like, okay, well, I only have to put X amount in. Luckily, you can still cobble it together. Luckily, the amount they put in for this film, because the value is so high in the UK, was enough to finance the project. So we made this with private and UK, so, UK sale, and that's it. So we still own the rest of the world. Hi, um, I thought your film was fantastic. Um, Thank you. I, don't know, I, I surprised myself. But what I wanted to ask you was about all the naked women. Yes. Um, I, I thought that was wow. Too so much. many naked women, so many scenes. Of the, what was that like, um, having them running around you? What was it like? <laughs> <laughs> what was it like? It was it was quite wonderful having them around. Them, but but in in, ter in terms of answering the question, I'm glad you said that actually because. You know, I do feel, I do, I have, I've seen a couple of things where it talks about the representation of women in the film. Like, my, my thing is this, my thing is this, like, we, in, in real life, in real life, in London, in England, there are brothels. I saw the Nick Broomfield documentary where the Chinese women went undercover in the brothels. There are brothels. Mm -hmm. In real life, there are gangsters. Yep. Yeah, but you put it in a film, 
in this type of film, and I'll get to my point in a second, people want to complain about it. In terms of also saying that um, a lot of the women are unempowered, like, you know, I know you didn't say that, but, you know, we, I feel like there's a lot of powerful women in this, this film, you know, a lot of powerful girls in this film, you know, including young Poppy. And just because young Poppy has her feminist views, it doesn't mean she has to defend the other people in there. You have to remember that you can't have it both ways. It's a film where this character's scared of the gangsters, so she's not going to say to them, Right, I have my views. By the way, you shouldn't have these ga you shouldn't have these other girls in here like naked. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you're looking at it as a drama film, they're gonna, they would they'd kill her or, or whatever. You know, so you know, my thing is with this is that I feel like sometimes journalists and people choose when they want it, when it's acceptable for them and when it's not. You know what I mean? There's a I understand about representation of women. I have a very strong, powerful, independent wife. I was raised by a single mother. I love strong women, uh, and I just think that when people are looking at these things they should just think about why they're saying them. Absolutely. And uh, by the way, spoiler for Hyena. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mate, not a spoiler that you like, man, because when that thing is disgusting, and I've never seen anyone mention how disgusting it is, but then I have a few girls with their boobs out and everyone's like up in arms. Hello, congratulations. That was Thank quite a roller coaster much. of emotions. Um, really, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Is there, after the third one, is there a fourth? No, okay. no, there, there'll, be no, there'll be no more. I feel like um, that story for those characters is being told. And also, I think that hopefully we can look at films that are quotation mark urban films and take them now in new directions. The problem was that Kidothood and Adulthood were kind of quite big films. And then there was a whole raft of others that were, you know, maybe there was a certain company that used to be in business that was exploiting the brand and just shoving them out and giving them ridiculous exploitative names and didn't really care about the films or the people that they were exploiting and just wanted to make money. And people stopped going to the cinemas and it actually killed the genre. I'm hoping that hopefully this helps bring it back so that people do have a voice, but I think this story has been told and actually hopefully new stories can be told, you know? Thank and, you. And of course you, you ended pretty definitively with the line. It's done. It's done. I even do the little Christopher Reeve Superman thing and kind of look at the... <laughs> You guys noticed that? It's all my to <laughs> Superman 1. He's just flying at the end and he just goes and looks at the camera. <laughs> I did a little one with my eyes there. Yeah, absolutely. But it, so it is done, so maybe, you know, never say never. Sean Connery said that. No, uh, man. 10 uh, years time. No, 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 no. Or have you run out of hoods? Is this, no, is this, no. no, I could do neighborhood. Like that. <laughs> no. I've not run out of hoods, man. Like, you know, that could be all encompassing of There's it. Plenty of hoods. Yeah. Plenty of hoods. Look at that box set, though. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, I've really enjoyed all three of the films, so thank, thank you, you for much. that. And do you feel free to tackle any genre? Do you free, free to tackle any film now? Yeah, I think uh, with my, my, my old age and experience now that actually, uh, you know, and I, I, I think I'm confident to tackle any genre. There's certain genres I, no, actually horror. I don't think I would want to do horror. It's kind of not my bag, really. And so thus, I don't think I would be very good at it. Um, and I don't really enjoy them. Um, but in terms of other films, like dramas, I mean, I love films like Am Amelie. I love Amelie. I'd love, to do a little, I'd love to do a little film about a Portuguese cake shop, something like that. <laughs> Foreign language set in Portugal, two yeah. competing cake shops, like stuff like that I'd love to do that no one would expect. Do you know what I mean? Go I've kind it. of got that, I've got literally that, the start of that treatment on my laptop called Cake, called Cake. And I'd love to do something like that. 
genuinely a foreign language movie set in Portugal <sighs> yeah, about yeah. computer cake shops. Yeah, or, or any other, you know, any other. I would love that. I would love to do something like that. Yeah. <laughs> that would, yeah that, then that's a left turn. No, but <laughs> um, I've got uh, the, the films. The films I've chosen. The films I've chosen to direct next. The ones that I've I've picked. I mean, you would not. I have a. There's a Juno type film called Adult Publishing for Teenage Girls, which is kind of Little Miss Sunshine. Juno set in. 1978 in Kingman, Arizona. Yeah. Um, there's a film called Sugar, which is a two-hander, which is really amazing. I can't talk about that too much because that might happen soon. Okay. But that that's really amazing. Um, and there's a thing called I won't tell you that one, but there's an action. There's an action thing as well. I'm I'm confident tackling most genres, and you know I did Anomaly in between. In between four, three, two, one, and this, which didn't wasn't received very well here, but visually I was very happy with. You know, the fight scenes were amazing. It was quite quite slick, and again taking those experiences here. But yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with any genre. You're very much creating your own material and plowing your own furrow. Uh, but I know you're a big comic book fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, you love commercial cinema. Uh, How has Hollywood reacted so far? I mean, have you been able to? Have you had meetings in Hollywood? Have you talked to? Yeah, yeah, loads. Yeah. Uh, they they all know me there. They're all they're all, they, especially the last year when they knew this was coming and people were getting very excited. I went last summer. I was there this summer. They're all like on the end of the phone. There's talks about certain things happening. It's just I don't like to. I don't want to do anything that takes me out of what I do too much. And I don't mean that in my comfort zone. I mean, like, for example, I don't do pilot season. Yeah, OK, yeah. My agent's always like, come do pilot season. I'm, like, I'm not doing it. You're not putting me in a show, 23 episodes for seven years. I'm not doing it because I can't produce. I can't produce, I can't direct, I can't yeah. create. And there's no way you're going to manage to fit a filming in the, the, the month or two months I got off before season eight is not happening. Now, you can go do those TV shows and you'll be minted. In America, you're like within two years, you're set. I'm not, I'm not complacent. I don't just want to sit down collecting money. I could, have, I could have done that years ago. There's loads of things I could have done ages ago that would have had my mortgage paid off and all that kind of stuff. I'm not about that. I, I really am about trying to create and improve every time, you know, mm -hmm. and I strive to get better every time. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the day that I won that Rising Star, yeah. I wasn't like, yeah, I won the Rising <laughs> Star. The next morning, change my son's nappy, go to the shop, come back. I'm like, how do I get the next one? Yeah. That is that is my mentality all the time. Yeah. It wasn't like I, I've not. It's on the shelf, and apart from it getting dusted by whoever does the cleaning in my house, it's not me. I can assure you. But <laughs> apart from it getting dusted, like that has not moved from that shelf. Like everything is like, how do I how do I improve and keep going and get the next one? Yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So de definitely, definitely. There's there's talks. There's things happening. It's just about what happens. Because mm. you hear a lot of people saying, oh, it's one for me and one for them, one for me. But your career always seems to be, these are my movies. These are movies that are personal to me. So even, the, even something like The Anomaly is yeah. still one for me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to... The plan has always been to get there without them controlling what we do. Yeah. And I say we because I have a company and there's a few people in the company. And it's like, by the, when, when we land there, which is... Is happening like the boat is dropping anchor at the minute. When we land there, I'm not having eight execs over my shoulder tell me how to do what we do. Like we're doing it the way we do it. Absolutely. Hi, I know. Hello. Great film. So, um, really enjoyed it. Thank um, you so much. I'm just interested, actually. Um, when you write, direct, and act in a film, how hard is it for you to totally critique your performance because you've got so much more stuff going on around you? Do you know what I mean? Like, how hard is it? Um, do you critique yourself? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's very difficult. I feel like, but I have people around me, like I'll always have two, or th two people that I can trust that will be like this, you know, at the end of a take will be like, <laughs> <laughs> I think you should do another one. I'm like, yeah, yeah, do another one. Or we'll just be at the back like, you know, that was, that was the one. And uh, obviously when you're acting and you're in there as well, you can feel it sometimes. You can just feel it when, it, when it's the one. Uh, the other advantage, I think, I mean, it's very tough to do all that stuff, and I, I honestly wouldn't recommend it, and I don't always do it. I don't always do it by choice. Sometimes I feel I have to. Like, for example, just quickly going back to the anomaly. With the anomaly, things are changing now, sure, but with the anomaly being a sci-fi action film, if I didn't put myself in that film, I would never get that role. Mm -hmm. I would never get that role. If that film went to a casting director, I would never have got that role, ever. Like, no one of colour would have got that role. It just wouldn't have happened. So I'm like, well, I'm making, we're making the Cypher film. We're, yeah. Our company's doing it. Go to the studio. Do I, not just an ego thing, to the studio, proper studio. Does he have enough value to carry this film? They look at the numbers. Because I can't just put myself in the anomaly. The studio has to look at the numbers and go, does that actor have enough value based on his previous work? I did have enough value. I would never get that role. I'm doing it. Because now there's been a sci-fi film, action sci-fi film with a black lead. Boom. Mm. Before that, there wasn't. Unless you're looking at iRobot, Will Smith, or, or whatever. But like, we're not getting what the Americans get. Um, so coming back to this, it's very difficult, but there's an advantage because you know the because I know the material. I've been writing the material for two years. I know what the performance should be. So I'm kind of halfway there anyway. And then it's about nailing it on the day and then making sure I can direct the other actors. And to be quite honest, this is, this is probably the best performance since well, Star Trek, obviously, JJ, you know, but that's quite a short thing. But this is probably the best performance since adulthood because it comes from a place of truth, you know, and it's not just a film that doesn't mean something. So having the, him having the children and me having children and him going through stuff and me going through stuff, like, I can bring that truth to it, and that's probably... So it's probably be the best since, since 2008. So how, how, how do you sort of... How do you work both sides of the fence in a way? Because you're directing, but also, say, for example, the scene where you find your, your mother's uh, body. That's a really intense performance in that moment. Yeah. How do you sort of you know, direct and act? I'm do meticulously, you take yourself away as an actor? Yeah, yeah. yeah meticulously pre-plan. Pre mm -hmm. So we know what we're doing on the day. I make sure all the shots are covered. I have my shot list. I have my storyboards. I have everything. I need, we've, we've, we've fought any fires there, like, because the location's change, or we want to do this, or we're going to put the crane, we have to put the crane on top of the bridge so that it can do that shot over the top. we fought all those fires, and once I know everyone's set, then I'm, I'm off for a little bit while we're setting up. Because, mm. you know, you've got to set those things up. Mm. So I'm off, and like, uh, that'll, that'll day will be a very quiet day on set, because the actors, be it me, or if we film another scene with Shanika that's emotional, yeah. Like, it's like the crew respects that and, you know, we go off and take our time and then we do those scenes. Yeah. Once our scenes are over and we make sure everyone's got no more emotional scenes for the day, then we can all relax again and, yeah, and, yeah. and chill out. But essentially, yeah, I make sure that, uh, make sure that the performance is in there and, and that, that, that everyone gets it right. Do you use um, music to get to a... a no, I can't stand. No? I can't, music. I only, <laughs> weirdly, I don't listen to a lot of music. When I'm in a film, I do immerse mm. myself, but not for that stuff. But in between that, I, I don't, I don't really do it. But I have this weird process. Like when I'm in, the, like when I'm in the scenes with the other actors, as they're doing their take and I'm performing, I can almost feel the left half of my brain going, "They didn't do that right." 
Logged that. Logged that. Logged that. Like, oh, that was great. You know. Yeah. So I'm doing the performance, but I can, and then I wait till the end. I went, listen, great, blah blah. We're gonna do one more, and then I'll give them their notes, and then we'll go again. Okay. And stuff like that. Amazing. It's a weird thing. Uh, we got time for a couple of last questions. I believe someone had great. the microphone over here. Yes. One two. Great. One two. Um, hello, it's a great film, by the way. Thank you. Um, I'm always quite amazed by the sort of landscape of West London, I think. Um, so, you know, as you know, you've got Bruno Estate, and then five minutes down the road, you'll have £20 million mansions. Yeah. Um, do you think, because some audiences are probably quite surprised that stuff like that happens on a day-to-day -day basis in these affluent areas. Yeah. Is that a struggle, telling the story sometimes, that you, do you feel you have to convince audiences that this is real life for some people? You can't convince them, but it, but it is. I mean, it's, it, I think that's the thing that, like I said earlier, irks me a little bit. Like, I, I, I'm at a point now where I don't, I, don't re I don't read any reviews, positive or negative, I don't read anything. But, you know, uh, I have a business partner who gets really excited and he said, oh, have you read this one? So I did peek at a couple and I did, see, I did see that stuff about, well, this is not real, is it? Well, it is real. I watch documentaries all the time about gangsters. I see this stuff all the time. This is happening in London right now. You know, councils, there's, I live in Kensington and Chelsea. I, I factually know that within half a mile, there's a brothel. I know it's there. So if I know it's there, how can the police not know it's there? How can they not know? Because all they have to do is pretend they're punters and look for the area and they'll find it. They know it's there. It's not shut down. They're not doing anything about it. They must, they must know it's there. So, like I said earlier, when these people, when, when the governments and the council stop it happening in real life, then I will stop writing about it. Uh, consequently, you get a bunch of you get a bunch of upper middle class or upper class people that don't live that life or haven't experienced anything like that, and they go, "Well, the gangsters were a bit over the top." Well, when have you ever met anyone like that? <laughs> and there was naked girls in a mansion. When does that happen? Uh, well, <laughs> but people are up in arms because I put it on screen. It happens in real life. You write a film like that, it goes in the film. But then you get all these people like, well, that's not real. And it was a little over the top and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and it, it, that, that, that does irk me a little bit. But I feel like you can't convince them because they're living in a different reality. They're living in places where they feel like it doesn't happen or they don't see it. They've never experienced a bit of rough life when they were younger. So consequently, it doesn't exist. But that's a, that's a big problem with this country. If people don't experience it, it doesn't happen. What do you mean they can't buy bread? That's never happened to me. Well, of course it hasn't happened to you, mate, because you've got loads of money. But when people don't have money and they're on benefits and they can't afford bread, they can't afford bread. Mm. If I put it in a film, don't tell me it's not real, because you don't experience it. So that, I find a problem. Absolutely. Uh, the very last question from this Hi, gentleman there. here. Hello, mate. Hey, first up, nice to meet you. Uh, Lovely to meet you. I haven't thanks. technically met you because we're... I know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that was a joke, um, by the way, guys. Come on. That's all right. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I liked you in uh, Doctor Who as well. Um, Thank you. Mickey was awesome. Mickey Smith, Doctor Who, yeah, yep. thanks. I hope uh, you come back someday as well. Probably won't, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my question is, what advice would you give to someone who is possibly thinking about entering the film industry? Don't He's do kind it. of reluctant. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. Um, mate, uh, this industry is, you have to have very thick skin and you have to be very determined because this place will eat you alive. This industry is not a joke. If you cannot take rejection and you can't deal with people saying no and you can't deal with forced failure where people shut you down, if you can't deal with it, don't get into this business. You have to, you know, I, I, I do talks at drama schools and I tell some of the, and, and film schools and I tell some of the, 
kids who are there like, yeah, well, I'm going to be there. Most of them don't even know that they don't have the drive to succeed yet. That's, that's the key. Like, a lot of them have the talent, and they're in there, and their teacher's telling them they're brilliant and stuff like that. They do not even realize that they do not have the drive to succeed yet because they're not in the real world. And they get out there, and they think, I went to film school, I went to drama school. And they fail because the drive that you need is immense. And so I would say to honestly, when I say don't do it, it's a joke, but it's like if you do not feel like you have that drive, and I don't mean like I feel like I have it. I mean, if you know you don't have it, do not get into this business because you will end up penniless and bitter and broke and alone. <laughs> Thanks. What a great note of which to end. There we go. Uh, thank you very much indeed for coming. Thanks so much for your questions. No one's off to make a film about Portuguese cake makers. It's, it's going to be... I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be yeah. awesome. Uh, thank you so much indeed. Thank Get up. you. Noel Clark, much. everybody.